Welcome to another episode of Inside the Maryland Lions. I'm your host, Josh Coggins. Thank you for joining me. I know that it has been a few weeks since my last show, and I uh, apologize for that. been very busy this past couple of weeks. Um, but I'm back, and I plan to be back for several more weeks um, without any breaks, really, until probably Thanksgiving. Um, but anyway, welcome back. Thank you for joining me. And, uh, you know, it's been pretty hectic uh, in, in the sports world over the last week or so. Uh, of course, World Series started a couple great games there. Dodgers winning game one. Uh, and then Houston battling um, and, and and winning game two in extra innings. But um, then you have NFL last night. And I saw something somewhere on Twitter, I think it was. Last night was the start of, I want to say, 24 straight days of uh, some form of sports. Whether it's baseball, football, hockey, basketball, uh, college football. Um, 24 straight days without a day break for any for all the sports combined. So there'll be at least one sport on in those 24 days. Um, 23 or 24 days. I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, I have a great show for you today. I'll be talking about obviously the Joe Flacco hit from last night on Thursday Night Football as well as reviewing that game. I'll also be previewing Maryland's homecoming game versus Indiana, as well as the Skins game versus the Cowboys on Sunday. So let's get the ball rolling. Before I talk about any football or any anything else, uh, I do want to mention this. The Orioles, some Orioles news. Uh, the Gold Glove finalists were announced yesterday on Thursday. Um, and Manny Machado was the only Orioles finalist um, for the Gold Glove as he joins Tampa Bay's Evan Longoria and Cleveland's Jose Ramirez as the three third base finalists in the major in the AL rather in the AL. Um, Manny Machado had his second most errors in his career this past season with uh, 14 errors. Um, yeah, but he did have a fielding percentage of a nine, a point nine six seven, with a WAR of uh, three point five. WAR is wins above replacement. For those who do not know that, basically means if it's a positive number, that's how many wins this guy creates above a replacement level player, a uh, player like oh I don't know for the Orioles like Ryan Flaherty, um, somebody that's like a utility player that doesn't start. Um, so. Manny Machado had a war of 3.5, which is solid. It's not great. It's not terrible. It's it's pretty good. Um, He did have 14 errors for the second most in his career, which is just, you know, that's still not that many errors um, for a... It's still not that many errors for a... uh, for a season, um, it's a lot <laughs> for Manny. It's his second high, as I mentioned. Um, but let's take a look at the stats of the other players. Evan Longoria this year, he played third base in DH. All right, um, 142 games at third base. He had 12 errors, a 9.68 fielding percentage, so just what one one hundredth better than Manny, and a WAR of 3.6. So pretty comparable, um, pretty comparable uh, uh, stats there for those two players. Um, now, WAR also includes it's not uh, solely on fielding. Uh, so that's going to inflate certain players' numbers. Um, Jose Ramirez is, and this is why I brought this up. Jose Ramirez had a fantastic season, uh, kind of like a coming out party for himself. It was his best season. Um, so it was his best season. So his WAR was six point. Uh, let's see, it's right here, six point nine this past season. That's amazing. A six point nine WAR. Uh, and as I mentioned, of course it. It factors in um, 
batting stats and when you hit 318 with 29 home runs you know your war is going to be pretty high um especially if you if you don't have um those kind of numbers over your career um i mean he did hit Jose Ramirez that hit 312 last year and had 11 home runs uh but certainly this year was a huge huge improvement on those numbers but when you look at his fielding uh, he and he played third base and second base this year um he played 88 games at third base and uh Apparently, he played 71 games at second base. I didn't know that. I thought he played third base exclusively. But he did play um, almost half the season at third and half the season at second. But had more games at third with 88. And he had a 972 fielding percentage and only made six errors. So, you know, Manny might be a finalist, but I don't see him winning this award unless they take, like, highlight plays because I think Manny has more highlight plays um, then Jose Ramirez, defensively speaking, has more highlight plays than Jose Ramirez and Evan Longoria. Um, you know, unless they factor that in, which I don't think is going to be, they might, but I don't think it's going to be a huge, huge, uh, factor. Um, I, uh, I think Jose Ramirez is going to win this award. Um. So uh, we'll have to see who, when that word uh, comes out, we'll have to see who wins it. But I'm almost, if I was willing to place money on it, I'd probably place money on Jose Ramirez. Um, uh, of course, uh, Nationals, uh, Dusty Baker was fired after the team failed to live up to expe- expectations yet again. Another Washington team failing to live up to expectations of postseason performance. Um, Nationals, Capitals, um, broken a many a heart in recent years, let me say that. Um, so they let go of uh, Dusty Baker, who was their manager, and um, a lot of uh, the, apparently a lot of the players, uh, a lot of the players do not, did not like that. They got rid of him. Um, so that's a little bit surprising, but uh, yeah. So, and apparently they're going after um, John Farrell, who was fired by Boston after Boston exited the postseason. Uh, they're going after him. You know. Uh, as a as an option, he's an option there. For their Gold Gloves, uh, they have Anthony Rendon at third base and Michael A. Taylor in center field are their two Gold Glove finalists. So I'll have to see how that how those two stories unfold. Now on to football. This weekend, Maryland Terrapins host the Indiana Hoosiers for their homecoming game. It's homecoming week here in College Park, and the Terps are looking to get back in the win column after dropping last week's game to Wisconsin, 38-13. to So, they welcome Indiana. Indiana is 3-4 and four on the year. They are 0-4 in the conference, where Maryland is 3-4 and four in the year, but they are 1-3 in the conference, so... According to ESPN's power football or football power index, rather, Indiana has a 57.5% chance at winning, while Maryland only has a 42.5% chance at winning. Um, the over/under is 51.5. And Maryland is five-point underdogs. So Maryland is on a three-game losing streak after dropping uh, games to number 10 Ohio State at home to Northwestern and away at number five Wisconsin. While Indiana Indiana is on a two-game losing streak after losing to number 17 Michigan in overtime 
and then losing to number 18 Michigan State. Um, both those games were obviously pretty close. So it's a battle of teams on losing streaks. And looking at the stats, um, I mean, they're pretty equal. Max Bortenschlager has thrown uh, for 686 yards, seven touchdowns, and three interceptions after spelling two injured quarterbacks. And then Indiana freshman Peyton Ramsey is thrown for has thrown for 973 yards, seven touchdowns, and four interceptions. Running the ball, uh, Indiana has. Uh, their leading running back is Morgan Ellison, who's rushed 100 times for 473 yards and three touchdowns. Um, Maryland's Ty Johnson has rushed 84 times for 571 yards and four touchdowns. And then you go to receiving, and then <laughs> uh, Cobbs Jr., Indiana's leading receiver, has caught 44 balls for 462 yards, three touchdowns. But this is where it really gets... Uh, blown out of the water uh, for Maryland. DJ Moore, Maryland's leading receiver, is also the leading receiver in the Big Ten with 47 receptions for 668 yards and 7 touchdowns. So looking at the NCAA leaderboards, um, DJ Moore is 17th in the nation. Um, so, DJ Moore has been a big target for the Terps, and he's a key to winning this game for the Terps offensively. Him and Ty Johnson both. Ty Johnson is uh, th- he is third in the Big Ten in rushing yards per attempt with uh, 6.8, and that's above running backs like Saquon Barkley, who's number four, Mike Epstein from Illinois, who's number five, and Ty Isaac from Michigan, who's number six. Uh, he, he's only, he only sits behind J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State and Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. He, he's run the ball uh, 84 times for 571 yards, four touchdowns, and 6.8 yards per carry. That is just absolutely absurd. And you know what? Lorenzo Harrison, uh, who spells him a lot, has run the ball 78 times for 304 yards himself. So they got really two really good running backs on their roster, and that's really what's driving them, their running game and their quick home run hitting threat in D.J. Moore. Max Bordenschlager's played pretty good from what I, uh, from my observation, in in uh, in relief of uh, Kasim Hill and Tyrell Pigrome. Could have done some stuff better here or there, but that's just nitpicking. Um, obviously, you don't expect him to go into Ohio State and beat Ohio State, uh, or go into Wisconsin and and, and beat the Badgers. Uh, so. But he's not looked half bad this year, um, given the situation. So, if he can hand the ball off and run this offense, and then get the quick strike, deep ball, or or screen pass, or whatever they're going to do to get DJ Moore involved, he's, you know, really a key in this offense, DJ Moore, that is. Um, That's all Max Bornschlager has to do. He doesn't have to throw the ball 60 you know, 50, 60, 70 times a game. He doesn't have to complete 80% of his passes. He just needs to get the ball out quickly, avoid sacks, take care of the football, don't turn it over, and just get it to um, to his playmakers so that they can do the rest. And that might be easier said than done, but um, it, it's, it's certainly... Um, capable of being done. I mean, Max has shown he can do it before, um, namely against Minnesota. Um, so, 
as far as my take on this game, I think it's going to be a close game all the way down to the end, quite frankly. Maryland's de Indiana's defense has an advantage over Maryland's defense, giving up only 300 and f well, still a lot of yards, but only giving up 341 yards per game, whereas Maryland's defense has given up 439 yards a game. Now, that number is inflated because they've played Ohio State, they've played Wisconsin, they've played Texas. Maryland's played a lot of good teams. Granted, Indiana's played Mississippi, uh, I'm sorry, Michigan State, Michigan, and Penn State. So, um, this game I think is going to come down to the last uh, last quarter. Um, <laughs> this might be a little bit of a homer pick, but I'm definitely picking the Terps in this one. I feel like that is a lot of talent to stop. Um, Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison and DJ Moore against a team that's been gashed in the running game and in the passing game um, in the past. So, again, I just think I think the Terps have it. Um, my prediction is going to be the Terps not only cover the spread, but they win. I think the Terps are going to win. Let's go 34 to 30. That's my pick. 34-30. Before we move on, I do want to speak on Ohio State-Penn State. I think that's probably the best game of this of this coming weekend. Penn State has, a, has an absolute stud in Saquon Barkley at the running back position. Um, Trace McSorley, uh, give her, you know, flip a coin on how he's going to perform. Some games he comes up and lights it out up. Some games he keeps the other team in, in the game. So flip the flip the coin there. Penn State's got a vicious defense. Ohio State obviously has a very, very good offense. They've got um, JT Barrett. they got um, a very good uh, running back in J.K. Dobbins. So, and they have Paris Campbell receiving the football. But um it's it's probably the best game on the of the weekend. Maybe maybe the best game on the entire Big 10 schedule for this year. Um people would argue Ohio State, Michigan. Um people could argue uh certainly argue that game, Michigan, Michigan State. Um but I think this game is going to be the best. You got two premier running backs, two really good defenses, two quarterbacks that when they're on, they're on. It's going to be a shootout, man. I think it's going to be a low-scoring shootout. I say shootout because I meant it's going to be a close game. Low-scoring, close game. I think it's going to be something like 27-24. Um, I'm not going to make a... <laughs> A prediction on the winner of that game because quite frankly I want both teams to lose I don't like either one of them but uh, let me rephrase that I have a love-hate relationship with Penn State I'm from Pennsylvania obviously I'm a Maryland fan uh, go to Maryland here but uh, Penn State was always the the football school to watch on Saturdays when you're from Pennsylvania, obviously. So, I grew up watching them. Uh, I still root for them sometimes. It's harder for me to get into the spirit of rooting for uh, the Penn State Nittany Lions, especially after Jerry Sandusky uh, stuff came out and reading um, some of those reports as I've gotten older and understanding the the implications of such things but you know I'll still watch a football game and occasionally uh, find myself rooting for the Nittany Lions um, but at the same time it's like I'm torn because I'm a Maryland fan I'm not supposed to root for P 
Penn State because they're our closest proximity rival, I guess, um, in football. Closest Big Ten school. Um, of course, we have that first game where, you know, there's just a lot of uh, tension between Maryland and uh, Penn State at the coin toss. Um, but I digress. So I guess if you actually um, ask me who I want to win this game, I'd actually probably say Penn State um, just because I absolutely cannot stand Ohio State. Um, and I'll be honest, it's mostly because of their success. Just like anything, you know, if your team isn't experiencing that level of success and this other team is, and you play each other regularly, you're not going to like that other team. Um, kind of, I guess the easiest way to compare it would be like a non-Patriots fan in in NFL, um, non-Yankees fan in baseball. But so if I if I if I had to pick who I wanted to win this game, I'd uh, I'd have to pick with Penn State. Not only because I dislike Ohio State, and I kind of grew up watching Penn State here and there. That's part of it, but the other part is <laughs> there's still a little bit that uh, there's still a little bit in me that I hope uh, Maryland can be that team that gives Penn State the loss and keeps them out of the um, national championship uh, playoffs. So don't think that's gonna happen, but you never know. College football um, that's several weeks away. Um, looking forward to that, obviously, but. Several weeks away, and uh, we'll see what uh, what what happens Saturday night when Penn State plays Ohio State. Now on to the NFL. Before I get to the Ravens, because I think I'm going to end on on the, on the Ravens, I want to talk about the Redskins coming up. You know, upcoming game against um, the Dallas Cowboys. It's at 4:25. PM on Fox. Shocker there. Dallas is always on Fox, and Redskins are generally on Fox. Um, but yeah, so ESPN uh, Power Football Index. Football Power Index. That's the second time I've done this. ESPN's Football Power Index gives Dallas a 51.3% chance at winning. Um, so pretty even matchup, I, I guess you would say. Dallas is only two point favorite. Um, so, you know, we'll have to see there. Kirk Cousins has only thrown three interceptions this season. He's thrown for over 1,600 yards. Um, Dak Prescott has only thrown four himself, so, and he's only thrown, he's thrown for just under 1,500 yards. Elliott's rushed for 540 yards and four touches. Um, Des Bryant has caught. 28 balls for 327 yards and four touchdowns himself. So those are the playmakers on Dallas's side. Um, and I mentioned Kirk Cousins for the Skins, but um, Chris Thompson leads the team in both rushing and receiving. 43 carries for 213 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, 23 receptions for 366 yards and three touchdowns pa uh, receiving. So he's had... Five total touchdowns and uh, almost 600 yards total. Um, so pretty evenly matched teams here. Um, it's not going to be a... Uh, I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way, quite frankly. Um, the Redskins did just lose to Philadelphia last Monday. And they have some line issues when it comes to health. We'll have to see if the their injuries... Uh, keep their offensive linemen out of the game but both teams are three and three so it's a battle of 500 who's going to stay uh, or who's going to go over 500 and who's going to fall below
and I mentioned the offensive linemen, Trent Williams, uh, Morgan Moses, and Brandon Sheriff, and Spencer Long. So four of their five offensive linemen are all dealing with some sort of injury. Um, so they're going to have to figure out who they want um, or yeah, how they're going to block this Cowboys defensive line if these guys can't start. But um, they're questionable, so we'll have to see if they play. But here are my keys to victory for the Washington Redskins. Uh, you know, it's a home game, so they're going to have an advantage. They're going to have the home field advantage. Uh, and and this game is essentially playing for second place. So it's it means a lot because these two teams both are um, fighting to stay in playoff position. So here are my keys to the game. Limit Dak Prescott. Now, you're not going to be able to slow down Elliott. You're not going to be able to slow down um, – the Cowboys rushing offense, uh, you, you know, it's going to be hard to do that. But you can limit Dak Prescott. And what I mean by that is uh, don't give anything, don't give any deep balls up. Don't let uh, Des Bryant or Cole Beasley behind your defense. You know, let everything happen in front of you and you react, come up, make the tackle for a short passing uh, game. You know, give up the first downs. Don't give up the touchdown. Don't let them behind you. Don't, don't let da- uh, Dax. How do I want to say? It? Don't let him. Don't let him beat you deep. Make him nickel and dime you all the way up the field. Now this Redskins defense has had um, some injuries, so. Um, it might be easier said than done, but you're not going to be able to stop Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott. You might be able to slow him down a little bit like the Broncos. Well, the Broncos pretty much stopped him. That was an anomaly, though. And that, that front seven is nothing to mess with. But for the Redskins, they can't let Dak extend plays. They can't let him get out of the pocket. They can't let him run around and then just find somebody downfield. They can't let that happen. He has a... a, a he tends to be able to do that from time to time, um, extend plays, like much like a Ben Roethlisberger almost. He has the ability to extend plays. Don't let him do that. Don't let him – make them beat you in the passing game. Obviously, they're going to probably run all over you. Let it happen. But your offense is in, has enough firepower to make up for that. But don't let them beat you in the passing game, meaning don't give up anything deep. Don't let Dak extend plays. Um, so you gotta have a you gotta have a fair balance of uh, blitz packages and coverage packages um, to account for that. Uh, number two, have a balanced offense. Chris Thomas or Chris Thompson, sorry, Chris Thompson cannot be leading your team in rushes, or I mean in rushing and in passing. Um, if that if that's the case at the end of the year. You might be looking at a Redskins teams, a Redskins team that misses the playoffs, or, quite frankly, um, misses the playoffs because because of their lack of balance. And I don't mean balance as far as um, I don't mean balance as in like rushing passing balance. I mean balance as in the utilization of weapons. Don't let don't rely too heavily on one guy because if that one guy, uh, God forbid, gets hurt, or if the defense can neutralize that one particular player, that offense is in trouble. Use your other weapons such as Vernon Davis, Tyrell Pryor. Um, use those guys. And that and that leads into my third point. Terrell Pryor going. You brought him in on this big deal after one good season. You know, he really wasn't anything um, until last year. So you brought him in, but now look what he's doing. He has 
18 receptions this year in half a season. 18 receptions in half a season is 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 nothing. It's third or fourth option stuff. And they signed Terrell Pryor to be a number one option. Uh, they paid him all that money to come in and be a number one option for this team. They cannot rely too much on Chris Thompson. Yes, it's great to have a guy, especially a halfback, that can go in there and run the ball and catch the ball out of the backfield. Can block for the quarterback. Those are the three areas that they that NFL teams are looking for in a running back. Run the football, catch the football, block for the quarterback. And Thompson can do it all. But you don't want him to be your leader in everything. Because if he gets hurt, God forbid, or or the defense can neutralize him or, or he just has a bad day, you can have other people to go to. Um and prior, you know, if he gets going this weekend, that could, you know, carry over for weeks to come. So it's important for them to get him going here sooner rather than later. And if they can do that this weekend, they got a big chance of winning. That being said, Dallas coming into Washington um, as two-point favorites, I think Dallas is coming off a huge win. Uh, and I think they're going to carry that momentum over and beat the Redskins. I just think until the Redskins can prove that they got more than just uh, Thompson and, and Jordan Reed, until they can prove that they got more than just those two guys, um, they're going to have a, a hard time um, offensively. Um, Cousins is a great quarterback, but he needs to be able to utilize those weapons. So we'll have to see Sunday how that plays out, but I do think the Cowboys come in and get uh, get the victory. Now on to the Ravens. Last night on Thursday Night Football, the Ravens manhandled the Dolphins 40 to nothing. Players, uh, you know, uh, players played well for the Ravens last night. But, obviously, um, in case you haven't heard, Joe Flacco got hit pretty hard. Um, was knocked out of the game with a concussion. Kiko Alonso, the Dolphins linebacker, was flagged uh, for the hit, unsportsmanlike conduct, late hit. Um, but he wasn't given a flagrant flag, meaning he wasn't uh, ejected following the hit. And social media, sports television, and, and sports uh, internet all reacted differently. Of course, you got... Ravens fans upset at Kiko Alonso, but some sportscasters uh, are also upset. Some are not, you know, whatever. The big debate now is take, taking away the penalty, the fact that Kiko Alonso got a penalty. Was that hit a football play? Meaning, uh, you know, yeah, he got flagged for it. He should have got flagged for it, but it's part of the game. Or was it that hit was egregious? It was dirty. It was vicious. They should have booted him. And that's the question I've been grappling with myself. Um, Kiko Alonso is not an inherently dirty player. He doesn't have an extensive in, um, penalty history in the NFL. Doesn't have many. Uh, I couldn't find any, but um, doesn't have anything, any disciplinary um, stuff from the NFL as far as off, the, uh, you know, suspensions, fines, etc. Um doesn't really have anything of that nature. So I don't think he was intending to knock Joe out of the game. I don't think he came into Baltimore last night and said, oh, I want to take Joe Flacco and I want to injure him. It's not his personality. Now, a couple weeks ago against Atlanta, uh, he knew he was going to get called for a late hit on a defenseless receiver um, if he took the guy to the ground. Um, so what did he do? He picked, he he form tackled and didn't take him to the ground instead he carried him for several yards and then placed him on the ground gently um, and didn't get caught because you know he knows that line he knows the line between a late dirty hit and and uh, just a football play now questions have arisen was that a football play it was bang bang football head head you know Sucks it happened, but it happened. Just football. Was it 
Um, or was it dirty? Was it inherently dirty? I don't think, like I said, I don't think he was intentionally coming in here trying to injure Joe Flacco. Um, I don't think that that's the case uh, at all. Um, so, but yeah, here, before I get in, get into the rest of this, let me play the clips. John Harbaugh, uh, you know, in his post-game press, I'm going to play part of his post-game press conference where he addressed this issue, and then I'm also going to play a section of Kiko Alonso's post-game um, comments to the media here. Give me one second to cue it up. They're from BaltimoreRavens.com. I'm sure you could probably find them on Miami Dolphins website or even maybe the NFL website. So here they are. Let me uh, let me go ahead and play these for you. Uh, Joe had a concussion um, and a cut ear. His ear was cut from like in here all the way down to his earlobe. So they were stitching that up without any anesthesia. So he's a tough dude at halftime. And that's as much as I know about it. You, you had some word for Alonzo. It was very apparent on TV. Was it? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, we were okay afterwards. So. Are you okay? That, that, that wasn't being hit, was it? I'm not commenting on that. Yeah. It was, I was penalized correctly, I would say. That's not for me to say. But thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No question. No question. It's a fair question. Put it that way. It's a fair question. So that was John Harbaugh um, speaking about the hit. Um, obviously, he thought it was flagged correctly, and he didn't say so, but it, you know, he thinks potentially more punishment should come for Kiko Alonso. But here's what Kiko Alonso had to say. It's, it's, it's interesting, to say the least. It was bang, bang. You know, he it got to a point where I thought maybe if he slid a second sooner, I was anticipating him sliding, I was going to not hit him. But I think he, it was like, you know, a second late, which is why I hit him. Was there anything that you would have done to avoid that contact or not put your shoulder into it? Uh, no, I mean, no way. I mean, what, what the target, that's that's the target. You know, when a guy slides, you know, his target is very small. Um, um, you know, uh, I just think, uh, you know, it was like a second, a second late, which is why I hit him, to be honest. So that's what Kiko Alonso had to say, and, and I... First of all, let me comment some more on what John had to say. John Harbaugh obviously has some skin invested because, well, it's his quarterback. Um, it, it's it's <laughs> his man. It's his guy. And and um, but as a quarter, I mean, sorry, as a coach, you just want a football game pretty handily. You don't really want to do something to upset the NFL. Um, on your behalf and on your team's behalf, so don't criticize the officiating, um, don't criticize the the player. You, you got out of there with the victory. I understand. I understand that mentality. That that not blaming, not you know the the non-comment comment type type of deal. No comment comment type of deal. I understand that completely. Um, is he feeling that? Who knows? I think he's upset about the hit as he should be, I think, um, I think there's more to what John Harbaugh is feeling than he was willing to say, and, and that's fair, those are, those, those are fair assumptions to make, in, in my opinion, and, and I think it's fair of him to go ahead and feel that way, um, looking at what Kiko Alonso said, though, um, I find it very interesting, his comments, he put a lot of blame on Joe Flacco, he, he said, he didn't take a he didn't take accountability for for putting it his team I believe that was a third down third and third down so he made the stop you know quite frankly he made a stop um, but the penalty prolonged the drive and allowed the Ravens to score a touchdown to put them up twenty to nothing at that point the Ravens were only up by essentially two scores two touchdowns they're up thirteen nothing. So he cost his team pretty significantly there. Now, granted, 
it turned out to mean absolutely nothing because um, they didn't score any points. But let's just say for a second, he doesn't hit Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco slides. They kick, the Ravens kick a field goal on fourth down, uh, 16-0. Dolphins could easily come back from that. Instead, um, the penalty was tacked on. The Ravens were able to score, go up 20 nothing. So Kiko Alonso cost his team significantly. Um, poten- you know, he had the potential to cost his team significantly there. Fortunately for for the Ravens and for the Dol- for Kiko, I should say, it didn't really cost um, his team the game because, quite frankly, they didn't score anything. So they had already lost at that point when Joe Flacco threw the first touchdown. They had already lost. He blamed Flacco's slide for being late. If you look at the if you look at the video again, and if you go to my Twitter, I retweeted the picture uh, at Coggins fifty nine is my Twitter handle. Someone took a screen grab uh, grab of when Joe started his slide. When he started his slide, Joe was four to five yards away from Kiko Alonso. That's a four to five yard cushion. All right, that's a four to five yard cushion where Kiko Alonso can change his launch angle. I don't want to say launch angle; that's because launching is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty much illegal now. But could change his angle at the tackle. Um, could change his how he was going to hit Joe. Um, and I get it; it's a sliding player, and as a defensive player, you know that that's kind of limiting your options. But this isn't a new rule. This sliding rule is this sliding rule just didn't come up this week or this year even. Um, this sliding rule's been in effect for quite a while. So he should already know to make an adjustment an adjustment at that point. And I get it, you know. I I as a football fan, I, I pretty much um, have a strong uh, 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 affinity for the defensive side of the ball. I love defense when I played in, in high school. It was my favorite um, side of the ball to play on. Um, but at some point, and, and, and I get all the arguments saying it's an offensive league. They're pretty much handcuffing the defenses for, for with all these rules. And I would agree um, that that is happening. But a slide gives a player up. You can't tackle him anyway. No, no matter even if you jump on his feet, you know, dive and land on his feet, that's a late hit. But that's only a 15-yard penalty. There's no questions after the game if you're going to get, well, maybe a fine, but I don't think they'd fine you for hitting somebody's feet. Regardless. But as a football player... A slide is the end of the play, all right? Just like a tackle. When a a defensive player tackles somebody and has them to the ground, another defensive player doesn't come up and tackle them again. So that defensive argument is is a little redundant, in my opinion, because you made the play as a defensive player. You made the quarterback slide. There's no need to punish him a second time or ensure that he's down because when a player slides they're giving themselves up the play is over there's a five four to five yard cushion there that's a lot of room a lot of stuff can happen in four to five yards on a football field there's plenty of time to react first of all think react and make a decision you're four yards away from the guy. You see he's sliding. Obviously, it's going to be hard to stop, but run and jump over him. Run around him. But at the very least, don't hit him in the head. Kiko Alonso is looking at a hefty fine at the very least, potentially even a suspension to go along with that fine. That fine. Had he hit Joe Flacco, had he dropped his, dipped his shoulder and hit Joe Flacco with his back into Joe Flacco's chest and Joe would have been all right, 
he's probably not looking at a suspension this week. He's probably looking at a fine for sure because it's a later hit on a quarterback. But I don't think he's looking at a suspension this week. He's potentially looking at a suspension for ne- for next week, for next game. 4 to 5 yards is a lot of time to do something. Like I said, I don't think it was egregious. I don't think it was last night I thought he should have gotten boot, booted after I saw the initial play and the immediate replays. But then I watched it some more, listened to what some of the analysts had to say and kind of changed my opinion about it. But he still should be suspended. I don't think he should have gotten booted because of whatever. You know, I don't think he was trying to hurt Joe. I think Trevathan a couple weeks ago for the Bears was trying to hurt Adams on the Packers when he went helmet to helmet. I think there was some malicious intent there. He should have been booted. I don't think Keo Alonso had malicious intent per se. I do think he should be suspended though. If the NFL is, and this is why, if the NFL is serious about head injuries and they're serious about player safety concerning head injuries, the NFL needs to stop this. If they don't suspend Alonzo, that's saying, okay, bang, bang, plays are all right. That's like saying, I mean, I don't, I don't even know how to compare an analogy. To, I'm trying to think of one, but yeah, I can't. I mean, but but if they don't suspend, if they don't make an example of this situation, say, look, bang bang plays happen, but there's steps you could take to avoid it, especially when you have a four yard cushion. All right. They have to make an example of this. If they're serious about it, and I and, and quite frankly, I think they are, um, more so now than they have been in the past for, for good reason, but I think they need to suspend Alonzo for one game. And his excuse... I find Alonzo's post-game remarks quite uh, interesting because... He doesn't take accountability for it. He blames Joe Flacco for his slide. Well, you're a defensive player. You have control of your own body. You could have made an executive decision to let him slide and not hit him at all. And I don't blame Alonzo for 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 trying to make a play and stopping Joe from getting a first down. But when you see a player start to slide, that's when you got to be like, oh, crap. I got to do something to get myself away from him so I don't get flagged and I don't cost my team. You saw Tony Jefferson do it last night later in the game. And Tony Romo did a very, very good job of pointing it out. Um, one of the Ravens, I think it was Lardarius Webb, tackled a player or pushed him out of bounds. And Tony Jefferson was coming. He was hauling butt to get there uh, in case he broke the tackle. Well, once he saw that guy get thrown out of bounds, he stopped. About four yards away from, nah, maybe maybe three yards away from where the player was in the uh, on the sideline, he stopped. Dead sprint, he stopped because he didn't want to get flagged for a late hit out of bounds. Players are starting to learn how to uh, avoid incidents like this, and and Tony Jefferson did a good job, and I and I commend him and I applaud him for that. Kiko Alonso, I mean. He was leading with his helmet and and shoulder pad. You can make an executive's decision to 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 wrap and form tackle. Had he done that, he would have missed Joe completely and went over him. Instead, he decided to lead with his head and and neck and, and shoulder and put it into Joe Flacco that way. Which, by the way, is not the proper form of tackling. The proper form of tackling is to wrap, drive, and take to the ground. Not dive head first at somebody. That's how you yourself gets hurt. Kiko Alonso had Joe Flacco ran through him 
Not that Joe Flacco could run through Kiko Alonso, but let's say he did, he could have paralyzed himself for, for, for tackling like that. There's been countless, ex- well, not countless, there's been a few examples of players doing that. Eric Lagarde for Rutgers, I believe that's his name. The kid from Rutgers did that a couple years ago. Uh, a, a, a Buffalo Bills player did that a number of years ago. It happens, and it sucks. But there's a reason why players are taught when they tackle to wrap, drive, and take to the ground. Not dive with your head or neck and not lead with your head or neck in order to make a tackle. He did it before earlier in the game. It didn't ha- and and uh, he didn't get called for it because he didn't make contact with anybody. But he led with his head again earlier in the game when uh, he tried attempted to tackle Nick Boyle, the tight end for the Ravens. Nick Boyle hurdled him. Had he not hurdled him, it wouldn't have been a late hit because you know he wasn't down or anything. But he would have led with his head into Nick Boyle's chest. What would have happened if he would have hit his head right on Nick Boyle's chest? Could have done some spinal injuries. He didn't. He went. Or even if he would have hit his head off of Nick Boyle's leg. Could have lead to spinal neck injuries. He didn't. He missed completely. And Nick Boyle. He missed completely because Nick Boyle hurdled him. But it's just an example of him not tackling properly. And players do it all the time. And it's amazing we don't have more of these spinal cord injuries. And these head injuries. It, it, it's it blows my mind. So number one, he didn't have the he wasn't tackling the right way. That's his first mistake. He should learn from this. Learn from the fact that he went high on a quarterback because he dove with his shoulder and his head, which is illegal. He launched with his head and shoulder. He didn't launch up, he launched down, which is the same same thing. Um learn from this. Right? Learn from it. Tackle normally, form, wrap, and tackle. That's how players in high school are taught to tackle now. Heads up tackling program. Don't look at the ground when you're tackling. There's a whole program that coaches are supposed to be certified in before teaching their kids how to tackle. From peewee football to the NFL, these coaches are supposed to be uh, knowledgeable in, in, in that regard. What's heads up tackling? Heads up tackling means you tackle looking forward or looking up. Never looking at the ground. So, Kiko Alonso is at fault for, first of all, tackling the wrong way. Secondly, not lowering, not avoiding contact with Flacco after he gave himself up. And thirdly, not avoiding the head area. Like I said, it'd be one thing if he... There's ways to go about a bang-bang play without hitting someone in the head. Right, he could have lowered his, dipped his shoulder slightly, so that his shoulder blade, the back part of his shoulder, was hitting Joe Flacco right in the numbers, and it would have been okay. It would have still been a late hit, probably still been a penalty. He might have had some sort of small fine, but he wouldn't be facing a potential suspension. Since he didn't do that, he went shoulder blade, or I mean, he went shoulder slash forearm to Joe Flacco's head. Had he dipped his shoulder, none of that would have happened. Shoot, he might have flipped over him and not even made contact at all. I know it's hard to judge in these situations. It's a fast game. Played by big, strong, fast athletes. I get it. But it's not like this is a new rule, right? It's not like this is something new that's just happening now. It's something that's been uh, 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 part of the game for the last couple of seasons, if not longer. So Kiko Alonso knows knows the the, the this stuff, knows the risks reward involved with trying to make a tackle like that. And and in my opinion he needs to be suspended because the NFL needs to seriously uphold their, their position on player safety. And how do you do that? You make an example of, of situations like this and situations similar to this. Um, I could go on. I can go on some more. I think it was a vicious late hit. I don't think it was necessarily dirty. And I don't think it was a football hit because of the reasons I've just stated. It wasn't a, a an appropriate tackle form. It wasn't an appropriate form tackle. It wasn't um, a new. All this rule was just added. 
it, it, it's it's not a football hit, all right? It was after Joe Flacco gave himself up. Um, was it was it dirty? Again, I don't think it was malicious. I think it was something that he just didn't really think of. Um, think of happen. I don't think he thought it was going to happen. Um, so I think it I think it was more along the lines of a late vicious hit, not a dirty hit. And as far as suspension warranted, I think it's, like I said, I think suspension is warranted. Um, All right, I digress now. <laughs> um, the chippiness of the game. After that play, Ryan Jensen took up for his quarterback. He came in and he laid the lumber to Kiko Alonso twice. I love it. Ryan Jensen is going to get a FedEx package in the mail with a large, large donation to the NFL uh, based on a fine. Um that he's going to get a fine. I think Alonzo is going to get fine in suspension. I think he's going to get a fine for that. Um, he came up jawling at John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh, hell, he might even get a fine um, for jawling back at Kiko Alonzo. Uh, but I love the players taking up for – and Ryan, I didn't include Ryan Jensen's soundbite, but after the game he said, heck, yeah, I took up for Joe Flacco. He's our franchise quarterback, and I felt it was my obligation to go out there and, and stick up for him, and I applaud him for that. I, I very much uh, 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 compare that to a hockey – player defending their goalie after their goalie gets hurt they're gonna if they're if they're if somebody hits their goalie a player's a player is gonna defend it and protect his goalie by going after that player who hit their goalie whether it was an accident or not um so i i I applaud him on that later in the game uh he drew a foul from indominic and sue who basically pushed him into the ground because he was blocking to the whistle good block by jensen there um then later in the game, you could tell that the Dolphins were pretty upset that they were losing 40 to nothing because they started to do stuff after the whistle. Um, and Dominic Kinsu jumped off sides, uh, and he actually hit Ryan Mallett. Didn't get called for the hit of Ryan Mallett. But then Ryan Mallett took exception to getting hit. So what does Dominic Kinsu do? He puts his, th- his hand around Ryan Mallett's throat in a choking, ma- in a choking manner. And after the game, he said, oh, I'm just defending myself. No, you weren't defending yourself from Ryan Mallett. You can't defend yourself when you started something. That's not self-defense. There was no reason for you to, after jumping off sides, there was no reason for you to go up there and hit Ryan Mallett. Especially as a quarterback. You're going to get flagged for that. He should have been flagged for that. He wasn't. The initial hit, he kind of pushed Ryan Mallett after jumping off sides. Ryan Mallett handed the ball off and... And Dominic and Sue jumped off sides and pushed Ryan Mallett away from him. Ryan took offense to it, got up in his face, so he chokeholds him. No, you don't do that. Um, he did get flagged for the chokehold, and I suspect that he might be facing a suspension. Probably not going to get suspended, but definitely will face a hefty, hefty fine. Um, and then, as that was going on, another scrum broke out where one of the defensive linemen, one of the other defensive linemen for the Dolphins, poked one of the offensive linemen in the eyes, one of the Ravens' offensive linemen in the eyes. Um, He was flagged for that. So there was three penalties on that, the initial defensive offsides, uh, the choking from Sue, and then the eye-poking. The Sue penalty was declined. The offsides was declined. The eye-poking penalty was accepted. Very chippy game. Other than that, Ravens' defense looks stout. C.J. Mosley, pick six. Jimmy Smith, pick six. Ravens' defense held... Held the held the uh, held the. I'm sorry, I'm trying to find it here. Held the Dolphins to um, a total of. Here it is, right here. 196 yards. 176 throwing and 23 rushing, essentially. Um, pretty pretty good day at the office for the Ravens. Alex Collins went off. He had his coming out party. party. 18 carries for 113 yards. Um, uh, very, very good game for the Ravens. My game balls go to the defense entirely. Very, very good game on the defensive side of the ball. My second game ball goes to Alex, Alex Collins, who ran the ball efficiently, as I mentioned. And my third game ball has to go to Ryan Jensen for the way he stuck up to Joe Flacco. Stuck up for Joe Flacco. Um, so those are my three game balls. 
I could talk about any of these things for more in depth, but I feel like I'm dragging on now. So uh, that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you for joining me. Be sure to follow me on Facebook or Snapchat. Um, I'm sorry, Facebook or Twitter uh, at Coggins59 on Twitter and uh, uh, Josh Coggins on Facebook. Also follow Left Bench on all platforms. Uh, you can also follow my Inside the Maryland Lines Twitter page at Inside MD Line. Um, yeah, thank you for joining me, and I'll uh, be back next week for sure with another episode. Um, yeah, have a great weekend.